ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Been a little while since I talked to you guys last. Apologize for that. A little bit tired last week. Even more tired this week, but I didn't come on last week. So here I am doing this for you. Tell me thank you. All right. Um, anyway, went to sunny Los Angeles, California last weekend. Um, let me tell you something about taking trips to California that I, I thought about, honestly, just while I was sitting here. Like, going to California when you don't live in California is always pretty cool, right? Like, it's just a nice change of pace. I mean, I don't know necessarily about living in L.A., but being in L.A., not such a bad thing, right? But I will say, the quality of your trip to Los Angeles, I think, has a very direct sort of relationship with what the weather is like in the place that you left, right? So... Best trip I ever had going to California. You know, I lived in California for a couple of years, but whatever. Uh, the best trip I ever had going to California was in like January of 2013. And I flew out to LA, taught somebody about a job. I left the parking lot at my crib and the parking lot was a sheet of ice, right? I had a little parking spot outside my little townhouse and it was just a sheet of ice when I walked out. It's January again, remember. I got off the plane in LA and it's like 79 degrees and it's sunny and I never wanted to leave. Like that trip was the bomb, the bomb. And you know, what's interesting about that trip being the bomb. I don't really have many details to offer. Like I can't really tell you what made that trip the bomb, but that trip was the bomb. I used to go out there to do Jim Rome show. Those trips would be the bomb. You know why they be? the bomb because it just felt good to be there like that's all it is like i think it might beat you down after a certain point but if the weather's bad where you were it is the bomb going to la now i would like to note that my man dt3 is in the chat room talking about how lax is right by the water too you know it's funny i don't think of lax as being right by the water i mean i i know it's certainly not far from the water but i think of it as being right next to the inglewood which um, evokes all kinds of stuff that is different than what you're going for with the whole by the water um, motif, shall we say. Um, This trip to LA, it was cool. But the thing is, I live in a place where it's like sunny and got beaches. So you get to LA and you live in Miami and the part that strikes you is like, wow, the hills right like like that becomes a change of pace like no matter who you are no matter what you're doing when you go to another place you're struck by the things that are different okay it's not as humid in la certainly but i don't mind humidity i'm from houston so like you got a beach okay i got a beach you got sun okay i got sun oh wow riding in these hills is so gorgeous right like, that's a flip up. But I went out there. I'll tell you what I went out there for because I want to, you know, do a bit of a solid for the homie. Uh, my little brother, James Davis. James is not my little brother by blood, but James is like realistically my little brother in life. Um, I always tell people, I don't always tell people this, but either way, um, when I was in grad, I was a first year grad student when I was out in Claremont and James was a freshman at Pomona. And somehow I basically just kind of wound up adopting him as a little brother of sorts. And it's funny because I did that kind of all the way through college, but then all them cats like went and got married and did like actual adult stuff that I haven't done. And so 
they couldn't really be little brother anymore. What advice am I supposed to give you with a wife and you got a child on the way? Like, I, I'm not that kind of grown. I can't do that. Luckily, James is still, you know, he childish enough to where I can still be like, okay, that's a little brother. But anyway, got a TV show um, that's going to be coming out on Comedy Central in a couple of months. It is called Hood Adjacent. And the the young boy had a couple, like, sketches and ideas with me and mine. So we went down there, sat down, shot some stuff. and. I mean, I don't have children, right? And I'm like very, like pretty much the youngest person in the generation on both sides of the family for me. So like, this is a situation of sorts where like, I ain't that dude's daddy or nothing like that. But there's like a level of pride that I have in the idea. Like I get to this restaurant where we're shooting at and I get there and it dawns on me. Like I'm looking around here and it's like, this is like a real live TV show. And it's this dude's. I used to make this dude come to my apartment to make him do his homework, right? Like, you know how crazy that is, right? I guess a lot of you do know how crazy that is because I guess, you know, some of you are older and been in those situations. And again, some of you have children. So you just have this in a much more personal way. But like, it's just wild for me to consider this. Because one thing I think that if you're not in the TV game that you don't really think about is, and my man uh, Rod made this point. I thought it was a very good one. He's like, look, here's the thing you got to understand about having a TV show. In fact, he was telling me this, I think, right before I started doing Highly Questionable. He's like, look, man, I listen to these podcasts and I hear these people talk about like getting a TV show and stuff. It's great if your TV show works. But do you realize just how crazy it is to have one? Like getting the actual TV show is such a victory. Like getting episodes that go to the air. Like, do you realize how many people... Like, forget about, like, want to be on TV. Because, like, I think the number of people who want to be on TV is pretty broad, right? But people who are, like, legitimately pitching TV shows, that's such a big number of people. There are so many people who are trying to do this. And so few who can get themselves in the right situation where they actually get to show. And, like, they get to show in a place that has a chance to, like, really be a springboard for your life, Right? And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this and I'm like, yo, this dude's got this, right? Like got it racked clothes and he picking out his outfits for him or whatever it is. Uh, I was just like, I mean, like for me, it was just mind blowing to like think about or consider. So yeah, check it out. My man's show is called Hood at Jason. It's going to be coming out, I think late June. He said the first episode is going to air. I don't think I'm going to be in the first episode, but going to be down there uh, for that. So that'll be that would be interesting. Anyway, trying to think if there's anything necessarily more eventful that's gone on in my life that I would actually tell you jokes about. Nope. All right. Let's get to your questions. Why do you think people care so much about Obama getting money for public speeches. Now, I have actually found this topic to be rather fascinating. And the reason I found this topic to be rather fascinating is I feel like the more I hear people talk about it, the more I hate everybody's take on it. Right? So, Obama is supposed to be doing this talk on health care for these Wall Street jokers, right? Paying Obama $400,000 to do this talk, right? For these Wall Street jokers. Now, I do believe that this is somewhat interesting, right? 
Um, and I believe that it's interesting. I guess, I mean, am I going to say I find it interesting because of the orientation of my politics? I guess maybe you could say that, right? Um, so you got all these people who have always deemed Obama to be the socialist, right? Like that was just the point of rhetoric that was thrown out there so many times. It's Obama the socialist, Obama the socialist, Obama the socialist. Okay. Obama taking 400 G's from the Wall Street jokers. What socialist is doing that? Right? Like, maybe a socialist would do that. Like, also rage against the machine shit, right? Where, like, you got a contract with the record label, then you take that and put that money on the road. I don't know. Maybe, like, maybe that's the brand of a of socialist that these folks think that Obama is. But Obama is a capitalist. There is no denying that Obama is the capitalist. And the only way that Obama could ever be elected to president of the United States is that uh, being a capitalist. Like, that's that's the real crucial one, right? This country ain't never going to elect no damn socialist. And this country ain't never going to elect no damn atheist. Like, those are the two, right? So I do, like, to a degree, find it interesting that Obama is taking big money to do one of these speeches, which is right in line with the capitalist spirit that people said for salt that he's actually oppositional to. And then those same people who said that Obama was are mad that Obama is getting all that money. Now, on the end, there are the real live actual socialists. And they're mad that Obama is getting all that money. And then there's a lot of people in between who are mad that Obama's getting all that money. And those are largely haters, right? Like there's a lot of hateration, holleration, all up in the dancery. That being said, Obama's in an interesting place here. Number one, presumably he's going to live a while, right? Like presumably he's got some years on him. Now, granted, I never thought that George H.W. Bush would do 25 years after his presidency, but there we go. Number two, Obama is scandal-free. Like as of now, Obama is totally scandal-free. Number three, he is the first real live legitimate celebrity president since Jack Kennedy. Like Bill Clinton was a very popular president and people appreciated the work that he did, but Bill Clinton wasn't, wasn't this, right? Obama is the first president of the social media era. The propaganda game that he and his people ran was amazing because what they did was make him really, really humanized, right? Like the picture of that one little boy, black boy putting his hand in Obama's hair because they both got the same kind of hair and stuff like that, right? They did a great job of making Obama seem human. And like, I mean, he's a charming sort of dude. Like Bill Clinton was also charming, but Bill Clinton had to think about, you know, the Lewinsky. You remember that? Yeah, so there was that. So Obama is like so marketable, right? On top of that, like Obama get a $60 million book deal. Of course, Obama get a $60 million book deal. Why? That's the book by the first black president, right? That's that, like without having knowing anything about a single page of that book, that book is going to be one of the most important books in American history. That is going to be a book that is read by students for decades and decades and decades, or at least for as long as people want to pretend as though they ever had a black president, right? Because at some point, somebody's going to try to act like it never was. Like, it's, it's, they're going to try to act like it's Reggie Bush's husband. Like, I mean, at some point, somebody's going to try to do that if people don't pay very close attention. But anyway, like, he's bankable in those ways. So he's going to have opportunity to make a different kind of bread than any of these cats ever had an opportunity to make. And they're going to get that bread. If I'm not mistaken, he and his wife said that they didn't finish paying off their student loans until he started getting that book money. 
Right. Like, like, like this money kind of new. And I don't think like as the president that you could really rake in that dough like, well, at least he didn't. Apparently you can, but he didn't at the time, as I understand it. Now they're going to get all that bread. Look, I imagine those last eight years had a lot of highlights, but I imagine it made years as hell. They're going to get this bread. I don't know what they're going to do with this bread, but they're going to get this bread. But with regard to like the speech, I do think that it's a bad look for the president of the United States who bailed out the banks, which, by the way, I think regardless of what any of you guys say, regardless of how revolutionary you purport yourselves to be, you'd have bailed them damn banks out, too, because that kind of had to be done. Right. Like one one thing about this uh, capitalist thing here, a whole lot of people got their beef with Wall Street and everything else. And then we go give them our money. Like, I'll be that. I'm one of them. I don't want the banks to fail. I don't want the market to crash. If the market going to crash, somebody let me know. I don't, I don't want that at all. Right. Like that doesn't, that doesn't do anything good for me. And I think a lot of people do kind of like the idea of it all falling apart. And in a big macro level sort of way, you could make an argument that, Hey, that might be kind of cool. And if you are inclined to believe that capitalism is the problem, then yeah, this might be good for generations down the line to build a new system. But I really think like that there's stuff that I care about that's going to be going on after I die. But there ain't that much of it that like I'm willing to take an L for right now, like a giant L right now. I work hard, bro. My parents don't work hard, bro. I ain't trying to have their retirement accounts crash out. Hell no. You better go over there and do what you got to do to keep them banks running. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. I ain't here for the banks to fall apart. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, yeah, there's other things they could have done. Could they have sent some people to jail? Yeah, I can see the argument there, really. But no, no, no. The bank going out of business. No, sir, Bob. Uh uh-uh. uh. Not now. Not now. I ain't going to lie. In fact, if the bank got out of business in 08, I really wouldn't have had that much of a problem with it. They ain't had none of my money. Bruh, I'm paid now. No, no, I want to keep my dough. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm just not going to pretend. There's a whole lot of people that's work really hard and don't have nearly as much money as I do, and they put their money in those markets, and they don't want that shit to fall apart either. <clears throat> and my man asked the question, he's like, how do you hold the banks accountable? I don't have a great answer for that. I don't. Like, I do think they're going to send some people to jail, right? But, no, I don't have a great answer for how you hold them responsible. But everybody involved in this is like, holding them responsible is really important but I'm not willing to go broke trying to do it. I mean, were you? They, they could have put the screws to them on some different things. Don't get me wrong, right? But no, 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 no. I wasn't here. I wasn't. I wasn't. Nah, wasn't here to see the banks fall apart. Nope. 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 Was not. Was not. Okay. So I think it's a bad look. Still, even with that in mind. I think it's a bad look to be the president who took over in 08, who then let the bank survive, and then you show up on Wall Street getting $400,000 to come give a speech. I do believe that is a bad look. I also would make the argument that if I were advising Obama, like I saw that the Van Jones dude got a lot of hell from people saying that Obama should go on a poverty tour. And I understand why people don't like it. Like I think people don't like the idea that this seems to be the first president, at least the way that they see it, the first president who's being asked to answer for all these things, right? Like, I mean, there's there's definite pocket watching going on. The meat peeping, 
is in full on effect. Like I'm not denying that part, but if I were advising Obama and you got a $60 million book deal and your kids are about to be out the house, I absolutely would have said, yeah, do the speech for 400 grand. And then I would have immediately announced that that 400 grand was being donated to somebody. Because I do think that there's an argument that it's not that great a look to take the money from those people. I also think, though, in spite of the fact that that is not necessarily the best look, I also think that it is absolutely preposterous that people are looking at this as a quid pro quo. Like, hey, Obama, if you don't shut down the banks after you leave, we'll give you $400,000. Don't you think the price would be higher than that? Right. Like, don't you think that the price would be higher than that? Like, I never got the feeling that Obama was running a kleptocracy. Right. Like that, that I never got. I think Obama is absolutely a pragmatist, but I never thought that he was running um, a kleptocracy. I didn't, I didn't even think that that was really being alleged. Like, that's not the, that's not the kind of crooked I thought that people were trying to make him out to be. Um, I've heard some people say, well, him doing this, you know, that runs counter to the whole hope and change thing. Where you been the last eight years, man? Like, I feel like with Obama, Obama's pretty much been the dude he told you that he was, right? He is a center left, probably emphasis on center. And he's absolutely a pragmatist. Like he is at once hugely idealistic to the point, I think, in some ways of being naive, but he's also coldly a pragmatist. You know, I mean, that's what he is. But I do think it was easy because he's so damn charismatic and he did sell this like unifying sort of message. I think it's easy for people to ascribe some of their more radical impulses onto a decidedly not radical man. There was never a moment in my life where I thought Obama would never do a speech for those Wall Street guys. No, but I never thought that Obama would do a speech for those Wall Street guys and not really have a plan to kind of sort of explain. So, I no, I don't think that that was handled properly. I also don't think I get to tell him what to do with the money. Right. Uh, let's, let's not get confused about that part, but no, I don't think they get to tell him that. I don't. And I don't think that most of the people who are so bothered by this really care so much about the wall street part, or anything else. Cause all these different columns are, don't you have enough money? See, if you're going to make the argument here that it's about don't you have enough money, then it wouldn't matter where the money was coming from. Like you wouldn't have to come with any arguments about Wall Street or anything else. People saying, do you, don't you have enough money are people that are mad that Obama got the money in the first place, right? Like once you start putting in the context of how much money do you need or something like that, like, yo, that's the going rate. Like, you know who, I mean, look, he ain't take $400,000 from the Boys and Girls Club, Right. Like, he ain't charged $400,000 to give a speech at a community college. If they think it's worth paying him $400,000, I mean, they got the $400,000, right? I ain't putting nobody out here in no level of hardship. You know, he ain't exploiting nobody. I say, you, you, you see who Obama taking his $400,000 from, you get mad he ain't charging him more. Overcharge of what they did to the coal crush. 400. Like, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. Um, 
Like you want to really, yeah, it doesn't matter what it is that you're talking about. If you're talking to an audience of laypersons, just say one of them dollar amounts with two L's in it and they throw million, billion, trillion, right? Like you talk to somebody who don't really got no bread about like $3 million. It doesn't matter what you talk about the $3 million for. They can be like, damn, $3 million, that's a lot of money. You know, like we could talk about, hey, so we could get a pair of shoes for everybody in America for $3 million. Like I know you can't, but what if you said you could, right? For $3 million. People are like, damn, $3 million. That sure is a lot of money for all, uh, 300 uh, million pairs of shoes. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like, like you put those numbers out there, you do that. So you start talking about $400,000, people that ain't never going to see anything close to $400,000 in their lives. It sounds like all the money in the world. Like how many people listen to this believe that like 95% of the problems they have in life could be eliminated if somebody would just give them $400,000. You see what I mean? Like, like that number is a really, really big deal to people. But for these jokers who are paying Obama to come, $400,000 ain't nothing. They pulling that out between the you know the seats of the car. They ain't tripping on no four hundred thousand dollars. And so, when people are like, "Why does Obama need this money?" So it's not causing a hardship for the people who are paying the money. You just think he shouldn't get to have it. And I don't understand why that is. Like he he's done being the president now, right? And I think. So in the United States of America right now, is it safe to say that the two most famous men in America are Barack Obama and Donald Trump? So you're getting yourself into a dangerous place where Donald Trump gets to get paid off the fact that he is the president and Obama can't get paid off the fact that he was the president. So there's that. Now somebody in the chat room says, do you think he should give context on what exactly the speeches were about? I mean, if he wants to, that's not really, I mean, Obama don't owe me anything anymore. The other thing, though, you have to remember, at least as it relates to me, like I, I am not a member of the cult of Obama. Like my heart wasn't broken by this. I don't need Obama to try to live up to whatever my image of Obama is. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't care what he went and told those people. I don't. Because there's nothing you can say that he told them that would surprise me. I mean, there really isn't. You can say that he went a little bit more radical on the anti-bank kick or whatever and talked to them about health care, and I wouldn't be terribly surprised. You can tell me that he was right in line with what they were talking about. I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Like, I don't need him to preserve in my mind my notion or ideal of Obama. I do recognize, though, that a lot of people do, right? And so it is kind of funny to see a lot of people, like I've seen people on the left who have gotten on the whole, well, why does he need that money and everything else? And I'm like, because I love intra-left beef. It's so funny. And then I've seen the people on the left who are like fiercely defending his right to make the money and not tell anybody about it, and da-da-da, which, I mean, I do agree with, but I'd be curious to know what they think about like what he's actually doing. Like, forget about his right to do it. Like, what do you really think about this? Cause there are people that are going to let Obama get away with that. Who wouldn't let others get away with it. Cause Obama, like he means something different to him. There are also people who are far more bothered by this simply because it is Obama. 
but I just don't have an Obama notion to hold up to. I don't love Obama like that. Like, I know a lot of people do, but I'm not in love with him. I got a certain respect for him. But, nah, I don't need that. And I do think that for this issue, the people who need Barack Obama to be a monster could use this to make that point. The people who need Barack Obama to be a saint will take this opportunity to defend him. The reality is Obama, I don't think, I, I don't think it would be fair to say that Obama is about upholding the status quo, right? But he is a gradualist. Always has been, always will be. When you get a chance, go read what Martin Luther King said about like the gradualist. It's very interesting when you view Obama in that context, in spite of all the things that Obama has, in fact, done and that Obama does, in fact, represent. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Have you been watching any of the L.A. riot documentaries? The only one that I saw was the one on um, Nat Geo. I think it was called L.A. 92. I didn't get to start it on time, but I found it to be absolutely fascinating. First of all, I love documentaries that do not have commentary. Um, I could probably think of more examples without like listing this one. I'm like, I'm saying this is the greatest but HBO ran a documentary about the Rolling Stones called Crossfire Hurricane. And I think that was the first time I'd seen a documentary where I noticed that it was just all archival footage. It wasn't anything else. And uh, if you've seen that, then you understand what I mean about the L.A. 92 one. And it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. And by the way, managed to be something that I didn't really know was possible, which was, I thought, totally even handed. Like there were, um, I think there were clear victims that were spelled out, but there were really no heroes, right? I thought that the documentary did a very good job of expressing what the condition was for black people in Los Angeles in the 1990s, while also pointing out one, um, the futility of riots. And I mean, I mean, but I think there's something to be said. Like, I think you have to make a point of what the futility of riots are, not as a point of judgment necessarily, but just a reminder that people are so mad and have been done so wrong that they are willing to burn all this shit down that may never be replaced, right? Like, to think that you get so mad that you think that all this stuff burning down that it can't get worse than it is already, right? Like, it can't get worse than it is already, so we might as well burn this stuff down, right? Like, I think that's a fascinating insight into the human condition once you get past trying to judge the people who do it. But I thought they did a good job of making it clear how it is that people manage to reach that point, right? Which I think, as just a statement of what happened, is important, again, without necessarily having to get so emotional about it. So... There's that. Um, Watching that also struck me because, like, there's the futility of the rioting. But then there's also 
Mike, when you watch the Reginald Denny thing, it had been a long time since I've seen that. But, like, when you see people in the street and they talk about, no, let the Mexicans pass, just get the white folks, and just randomly whooping white folks' asses in the middle of the street. Like, that's the one thing that I would say in all of it was absolutely indefensible. Like, I think I can make an argument for burning the stuff down being defensible. Like, you may not agree with it, but I could come up with an argument. That just, we just going to beat random white people up? Ain't no, there's no defending that. There's no way. Um, I'm also curious though, and I want to, and I, I want to say this up the front. I'm not blaming any victims here, right? I am not blaming any victims. I'm just curious how the white folks wound up over there in the first place. Like legitimately, was that your shortcut home? Like, are you like the one white dude who lives in the neighborhood? Like, look, I know enough about L.A., man. L.A. is wild segregated, man. It is crazy segregated. I don't know. I mean, I understand it ain't it ain't like it is now where we all get the news to our phones and we know everything that's going on 24-7. But I'm a little bit surprised, like, when this happened, that nobody there thought to themselves, hey, man, I think I'm going to just stay on the freeway, bro. And somebody popped up with America is segregated. Yeah, America is segregated. And L.A. is really, really segregated. Really, really segregated. But, yeah, anyway, like, that just, we just going to pull white people out randomly and beat them up? Come on, man. Ain't nobody, ain't no riding for that. Ain't no level of anger that you have that makes that anything close to appropriate. It's not, right? It, it's just not there. And I thought that it is a very difficult balancing act to play to try to show the humanity that drove the riots while also making it starkly clear that there was inhumane behavior that even within the context of that first humanity cannot be defended without being preachy. And they managed to do it. I mean, they really managed to do it. Also, the dynamic between black folks and Koreans was fascinating. The other thing, too, man, them shots of them Koreans just out there with them rifles bucking in the street. Like, I didn't. So, like, yeah, you know, I I remember that happened. I was, like, 11 years old when it happened. But, you know, you see them clips of, like, you know, people burning stuff down and people breaking in and stealing stuff. Yo, man, people was out there bucking on the streets wearing bulletproof vests. Yo! That was wild. Then they showed that rally with all the Koreans, and they was just like, hey, man, we want peace. We want peace. Translation, man, don't burn our stuff down. That's all that came down to. We want peace. They didn't didn't seem to be any attempt to appreciate what people were going through. They didn't seem to be any attempt to, like, feel where the anger the pain was coming from. They're like, come on, man, please stop. Just don't burn down my shot. I've been good to you. You've been good to me. I ain't the one that shot that little girl. And I, I, there was so much that was going on. And by the way, it is your friendly reminder that liberal does not mean you can't be racist. Because I have found over the course of time that much of the discussion about racism, not so much race, but about racism in America, is white people talking about race amongst themselves, but the white people talking about race amongst themselves typically gets you to, like, 
y'all the racist. No, y'all the racist. No, y'all the racist, right? And you find that a lot of the conservative defenses that come from being racist are actually conservatives saying, well, don't y'all act like y'all better than us. Right? Like, that's there. And if they need anywhere to point their finger and don't act like y'all better than us, Los Angeles is like, hello. It is right there. And you kind of get that vibe there, too. Now, I didn't see the beginning of it, but apparently LA-92 also did a job of explaining that those police officers, like, they was going and getting them from the South, bro. Like, it wasn't like these were just the good Midwestern boys who had made that migration to LA. Nah, they were looking for police who would love nothing more than to beat on some Negroes. Like, that's what they were seeking. That's what they were searching for. Yeah, man, so if you get a chance, check it out. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Do you have any more thoughts on damn after a few listens? I have to say, by the way, um, I have yet to reach the point where you asked me about damn, and I don't think you were talking about the Youngbloods song, Damn, which I have to say, just so everybody knows, um, the Kendrick Lamar album, Damn, is very, very good. But it's going to have to do a lot to be as classic as Youngblood's song, Damn, which is just bananas. That bass, boy. Whoo! Anyway, I think I've listened to Damn five times now. Right? I mean, I'm just not in a rush to run it over and over and over and over and over again. I like to run it, like, every few days. I listen to it in the car when I'm on the way to work. All right, so, a couple thoughts. One, it's really, 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 really good. We will see if I'm still listening to it in a year or two or whatever it is, but it is a really, really good, really well done album, right? Um, it is emotionally resonant. I find it to be intelligent in a very simple, simple, relatable way. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. Um, it's no fun. And I don't mean that as a good thing, but it's a smoker. Like, I, I just don't think there's any way around the fact that that record is 100% a smoker. Now here's where I'm having some fun. I was thinking about it the first time I ran through it and saw all those titles, those little short titles, whatever it is. And something about that had me like, wow, this is kind of like Dark Side of the Moon. Now, the thing about Dark Side of the Moon is so you go track to track. And I've seen interpretations of Dark Side of the Moon, and they all seem to be pretty accurate. That Dark Side of the Moon is birth to death, right? Like, speak to me is birth, eclipse is death, and then all the things of life are in between. So, like, breathe is like you coming into the world in that first time. Okay, whatever. Um time just about the idea the notion of the passage of time the great gig of the great gig in the sky about religion money self-evident right us and them's about war you know all that stuff right but it's basically an in-depth a look at fairly simple concepts that allow you to go as deep as you want to within them and you can come up with a pretty interesting like mosaic of life like, to say it's just a window of life or whatever is a bit much. Like, it's life. It's trying to take life, and either those are big ideas, but they're also small pieces. I can't explain how those two things are possible at one time. 
right? But it's big ideas and small pieces all together. That is what I feel like this Kendrick Lamar album is, right? Like the notions on it, although it's a very Old Testament-y sort of way that he looks at this thing. And it is fairly foreboding. There's not a lot of fun there. Like, I think that this is certainly coming from a much more spiritual place than Dark Side of the Moon it has. But I'm not saying that this comparison that I've made is absolutely perfect. But it is a very interesting window into a lot of these things, right? So what's he talking about? Like, you know, lust, loyalty, um, you know, humble humility, you know, people love that stuff. Fear, all, you know, all these different things, man. God, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think that it's really, really, really interesting to listen to in that way. I would also like to note that the fear joint, which almost sounds like he wrote, like it almost, fear sounds like he read Between the World and Me and then wrote a rap song about it. Like, like, that's what it feels like. You think about it. If you've read Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates and then go back and listen to Fear. Like, I mean, it's basically the same ideas. It was also interesting. I got text with Coates about that album. And he was just like, Fear. He's like, the first verse. He's like, yo, that's my life. Because I don't think Coates has ever considered the possibility that Kendrick Lamar might have read his book. And I don't know if Kendrick Lamar read his book. Maybe they stumbled upon it together. But anyway, um, Fear is a joint like that. That when I was 27 is amazing because one thing like for me, I can relate to it to a degree, but not so much. Right. Like I can't relate, but so much because I don't I don't fear going back to Section 8. You know, like I've never had I've never been at Section 8. Like I don't have that fear in that way that I'm going to go back to being from quote unquote nothing. I never felt like I was coming from quote unquote nothing. So like that's something that I just cannot relate to in that way. But I can relate to the idea that. They don't really give you a manual for when you get successful. They don't really like teach you how to handle and manage these things, especially if it comes with a whole lot of money attached to it. And so for me, you know, college boy, I've been around those people. Like I got a little bit of a better idea of like how to manage that stuff and how to deal with it. I don't know what it's like for Kendrick Lamar. And now you got all this money and now you got all these different people who's trying to come to you to handle your money. Like I met the dude who handles my money on personal recommendation. Cause it wasn't like all these people was out here trying to get to me after shows knowing that maybe one day I was going to have my money or whatever it is. Right. Like I don't have that. Like being a rapper is different in that way. Cause everybody over there looking at you thinking you a mark. Nobody's really coming at me assuming off the rip that I'm a mark. And that's not what it is. So, like, to hear the kind of paranoia and everything that goes around having that, like, now you've got it, but nobody tells you what the hell to do with it once you do. Like, that's fascinating, really humanizing kind of stuff. You know? And, yeah, it's like a real, I mean, I just find this to be a really dope, really approachable album. Um, like, I thought The Good Kid, Mad City, and... Uh, to Pimp a Butterfly, there was a different ambition to those, right? Like, I think the Good Kid, Mad City is a very eye-level sort of record. I guess To Pimp a Butterfly is, too. It's just a lot of stuff at your eye level. But, you know, it's like I'm trying to tell this story, you know, and all this stuff that goes with it. Like, this doesn't feel like telling a story. Like, this just feels like an expression, like an exploration of the life he lives and the spiritual foundation that's underneath it. Like it's almost like a Bob Marley record or a Peter Tosh record in that regard. So yeah, through about five runs, I think this is banging. And at least once a week, it still comes around to where I'm like, yeah, let me run that one more time. And that doesn't happen to everybody, 
Like everybody's all on that uh, Childish Gambino record. When was the last time you listened to that? And that's not a knock to that record, but most records just don't really endure like that. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Was there any concert you went to that was as disastrous as the Fire Festival? Well, stop and ask yourself this question. Um, if there were a concert that you'd heard of that was as disastrous as the Fry Festival, wouldn't you have read about it already? Like, I feel like there would be a 30 for 30 about it if there were another concert that was as disastrous as that one. I don't have anything close to that. Who does have anything close to that? Like, I mean, I've been rained on at Governor's Ball before, but that's about it. Like, I ain't even fully get to the bottom of this, right? So it was a music festival. They were charging people like 10 Gs, and nothing was what they said it was, right? Like, they said everything was going to be full-on luxury and everything else, and then you got there, and it's like cheese sandwiches and styrofoam, right? Now, I mean, you guys will tell me in the chat room, so why are we blaming this on Ja Rule? We blaming this on Ja Rule because Ja Rule was supposed to perform at it? Is that what it is? Because if that's the reason why we blaming Ja Rule, y'all being some jerks. Like, I don't know if you guys are paying attention, but didn't Ja Rule get some time in the bing for not paying his taxes? Like, Ja Rule got to do whatever they say it is for Ja Rule to do if there's going to be a check involved. All right, like, I don't believe for a second that Ja Rule was really involved in the planning of this. Why don't I believe Ja Rule was involved in the planning of this? Because if you were planning a concert, would you involve Ja Rule? Okay, Ja, we just need to, you know, get your ideas on this stuff. No, ain't nobody going to do this. This is all what's so crazy about what happened to Ja Rule with 50 Cent is. We are done with 50 Cent, right? We are absolutely done with 50 Cent. We have been done with 50 Cent for a while. But even though we're done for 50 Cent with 50 Cent, we have not allowed Ja Rule to come back and live. 50 told y'all that Ja Rule was a wankster and that he sang too much on his songs. And then 50 went out and basically jacked the man's whole style. And we let 50 live for it. And by the way, we forget, A, Ja Rule was not a fake gangster. And number two, Ja Rule had hits. Y'all was rocking with Ja Rule, right? Ja Rule bust on the scene with that feature on the Jay-Z joint off the Rush Hour soundtrack. He killed that verse. Killed that verse. Came back out there with the holla holla. Wasn't bad. Now, the problem was DMX kind of fucked the game up for Ja Rule a little bit. Like, he didn't totally mess it up because Ja Rule still found a lane. But Ja Rule was almost like coming in this East East Coast Tupac sort of lane with the bandanas tied up and all that stuff. But the problem was DMX had just, like, hit. So you wind up seeming like bootleg DMX, even though Ja Rule and DMX don't really have anything in common. But anyway, Ja Rule came out with that second record, which, by the way, I mean, it was a Rule 336. Rule 336 wasn't bad. Like, it wasn't great. Like, it wasn't necessarily my speed, but that's got the Christina Milian joint. Y'all like that put it on me joint. Like, Ja Rule really did kind of usher in this singing and rapping thing for better or worse. You could make an argument in some ways that Ja Rule was kind of pioneering, except 50 told us that Ja Rule was whack. 
and we never came back around on it. We never did. We never did. And that man has basically been a laughing stock for what, like 15 years now? 15 years. And everybody be out here acting like they got all the ha-ha-ha for job, whatever it is. He ain't buy all them records himself. Some of y'all was rocking with job. A bunch of y'all was like for real rocking with job. And y'all just act like it never happened. Y'all play this like vanilla, like vanilla ice. Hey, like don't let, don't let these black people fool you, okay? Ice Ice Baby was getting urban spins too. They was rocking with Ice Ice Baby till they weren't. You know what other song was like that? The Informer by Snow. We was rocking with it till we found out what he meant by snow. Y'all jumped off board. Y'all will do that to somebody and act like I ain't never like that. But you did, though. But you did. And that includes Ja Rule. By the way, having Sirius in the car reacquaints you with a whole lot of this stuff, right? Because they ain't got but like six black folk stations. And you get the backspin and you get the uh, Sirius XM Fly. And you will get plenty of Ja Rule between those two. Like, that's how I know y'all was rocking with Ja Rule. That algorithm that uh, Sirius is using to run them stations. They're like, yo, play the stuff that they that they liked. They be playing a lot of Nelly, too. Why? Because y'all like that. That's right. Appreciate the question. I can't remember if I said that already. Let me see what else we got here. Thoughts on the fire cold bear backlash. I just became aware of the fire cold bear backlash like maybe an hour ago. And I mean, basically he made some sort of reference to Donald Trump, fellatio and Vladimir Putin in a way that people felt could be termed as being homophobic. And for what it's worth, I do think there was an argument that that joke was homophobic and perhaps a bit problematic. I don't think there's any denying that. Whether it's fireable um, becomes its own discussion. But here's why the fire cold bear backlash that they're talking about there won't work. You ready? At least from what I can tell. And you let me know if I have a misunderstanding about who the people are who are really pushing this. The problem is the people who want him fired are not the people who watch the show. Now, you have some potential to start a boycott of some sort and get somebody fired by saying, okay, if you sponsor this show, then we will not buy your products or something like that. But people who do not watch something are not going to get something taken off the air if that were the case bill o'reilly would have been off the air long before right what happened was people within the world of bill o'reilly and the sponsors just said like yo we don't want to be associated with that now if the sponsors say to colbert they don't want to be associated with that okay then maybe we talking about something but you're not about to get somebody run off a job if you don't actually watch it i mean that's just that, that's just that, that you're not the person they're afraid of losing like, they want to get more viewers, but chances are, if you're behind, like, the, they're trying to get Colbert fired for this, you were never going to watch it in the first place. They ain't worried about you. But when the people who are like, yo, I watch this every night or whatever it is, or, like, some people that are a little bit more on the left are like, yo, he got to go, he got to apologize, then you're going to see something. Then you won't. But, nah, that's not, 
that that's not how this goes. Like that's why boycotts have minimal. Like boycotts can be effective. Of course, it's obviously difficult for them to be effective in large part because you gotta. I mean, how many people have to do it to make it hurt, right? But you got to go to the money on that. You're not just going to be like, fire him right now. No, no, no. You go to the money. So if people are willing to go out there and decide they're not going to buy some products, I don't know, maybe they do Cheerios commercials during this show and people say they ain't going to rock with General Mills, then maybe they got a chance to make something happen. But otherwise, no, they ain't just going to be, we're going to get him thrown off the air. Yeah, good luck with that, champ. Appreciate the question. Let's see if we got anything else I feel like talking about. Nope, I did all the shows today, so I'm going to call it a wrap. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the Evening Dawns. We try to do this once a week, but I tend to come up show. Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. My man, thank you. Remember, if you can't catch the uh, Evening Jones live, check out the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes Store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. Also, check us at the Google Play Store. We do this thing next week. Take it easy. <laughs>